Welcome to Spotlight, the Oxford Media Society podcast. My name's Alice Hazel, and in today's episode, I have the great pleasure of speaking to Rianne Roberts. Rianne is the BBC Radio 4 Commissioner for Podcasts, Formats and Digital. Her recent commissions include Uncanny, You're Dead to Me, Lady Killers, Just One Thing, among many, many more. If you listened to our introductory episode, then you'll know how excited I was to record this episode. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Rianne, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, It's really exciting to have you here, and I think you're probably best placed to introduce yourself rather than me. So would you mind introducing yourself and what your role is? My pleasure. Very nice to be invited. So uh, my name is Rianne Roberts, and I'm the Commissioner for Digital Formats and Podcasts. I'm based at Radio 4, but I work for BBC Sounds and for BBC Speech in general. That's really exciting. Um, and one of the questions, one of the reasons I really want to have you here today is just to hear how you did you get into this, because obviously podcasting is a new industry, but I'm sure you've got far more experience than just in podcasting. So how did you begin and what was your path to where you are now? Okay, so long, it's a long journey, but I'll, <laughs> I'll explain. So um, I did a drama and theatre studies degree a long time ago, and then I went to Spain for a bit. And then I came back and tried to get a job. And the first apprenticeship that I could see at the BBC was for um, videotape editing in news and current affairs. So that's where, because I just thought, I I just want to join the BBC. Um, Because I've been brought up thinking the BBC was a great thing and still absolutely think that. So I joined then and then um, I was really lucky. I did a lot of traveling. I went all over the world with news stories and news teams, which was great fun. And then I got fed up of being at the end of the chain and I wanted to be a journalist or a producer and fortunately they had a kind of conversion course for a year and a half and they would train people from a technical background um, to become journalists. So I did a year and a half of that and then I ended up working on Newsnight and PM and The World at One, um, Five Live. Um, uh, Yeah, and then I I became a, a journalist at Five Live then a senior news editor at Five Live, so edited most of the programmes at Five Live. And then I moved into doing a piece of digital strategy for all of radio. And then from that I got offered a job, at, well, I got asked to apply for a job at Radio 4, which I did. And then I, that job started as a digital editor, so there was no commissioning. And then in that role, I started going, I think we need to get into podcasts, my friends. I think we need to get into podcasts, and so started commissioning them. And then one of the first ones I commissioned was Evil Genius, and also fortunately with Fee Glover and Jane Garvey, which was quite popular. And then a, a role was developed, commissioning editor for podcasts. And I went for that and got it. In my head, podcasting is really, really new. I don't know when this took place. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the moment we were like, this is what the BBC needs to take the next step into? Okay, so I joined the digital department, which was uh, not that big. Um, and it was it, the digital audio department. And one of the first things they did, the first podcast, if you like, from the BBC was um, In Our Time, Melvin Bragg's programme. And they made it available on a podcast feed, an RSS feed going out of the BBC. And that was the first, technically, the first podcast, although it was a, a linear radio programme. Um, and then I guess you just read a lot, you know, you read a lot of media, you can see what's happening in America, and you think, This is a new form which will allow people to loosen up and be more relaxed in their audio when they speak and can we use this to attract a new audience. Fee and Jane are a fantastic example because um, 
Jane was presenting Woman's Hour at the time and Fee Glover was presenting The Listening Project on Radio 4. They were very Radio 4 programmes. You know, you have your clothes on, they're very well, they're tailored and you speak like this and they're very proper. And then you put, sorry, I shouldn't really do impersonations a bit, but anyway, and then you put them into an environment where you go, just, you know, kick back, be yourselves, you don't have to read a script. Um, and you develop a different tone of voice and then the audience you know, you find out that the audience likes it. They like that different side. They like to know more about who people, who their presenters are that they love, who they really are. And podcasting gave people like Fee and Jane the freedom to do that. And then I think we just developed a different grammar around how you make audio. Podcasts allowed us to experiment in a way you couldn't really experiment on Radio 4 because there's a listener expectation around Radio 4. Oh, there was then. Yeah, and when you in that experimenting process, like quite early on. I tried to phrase this in the right way, but you had Radio 4, which is obviously a really successful format. How did you know that these kind of changes to a format that's really well known were gonna be popular? Or did you know, or was it just a guess? Well, you, you can, the US is, has been quite far ahead of us, not so far ahead now. So you can look there and see, okay, the audio landscape there is really opening up to podcasts. If you So I came from Radio 5 Live, which has a more casual tone of voice, a more sort of interactive, you know, friends with a listener tone of voice, compared with Radio 4. So you think, right, there must be a medium where these presenters who are brilliant, brilliant with their conversation, we can just free them up a little bit. So it's a hunch. A, lo a lot of commissioning is a hunch. You know, if you've got audience data around you that can give you some context and some confidence, fine. But it was a hunch, really. But, you know, first, I remember being in a little room and we commissioned about five podcasts, about five of us in the room, and we just we commissioned five podcasts. And, you know, some of them did really well. And then once you've done that, and then someone might go, oh, that podcast you're doing, we think it needs to go on the radio, which is what happened with a couple of them. Then they get to a wider audience and it just grows. Radio 4 is a very good place to put them and to get promotion because people who listen to Radio 4 love audio. So the door is quite open. Yeah, I was thinking that because I think a lot of the podcasts I listen to are Radio 4 and a lot of podcasts I know people who love podcasts listen to a Radio 4 podcast. That's a really good point. And the podcast industry now, I imagine not so much when you started out. I think it's quite oversaturated now. I think that's quite a well-known Fact, I think I was reading something that said if you over, have over 50 listeners then you're doing better than 50% of podcasts or something crazy like that. Oh. And so when you're presented with a pitch now, what are you looking for? You know, what are you looking for to make sure it's going to be successful? Okay, so you're right. It's a very, very crowded market. And when I look at a pitch, I'm looking at who's the talent? You know, are they going to cut through? Are they somebody who has already got a podcast, which can be a good and a bad thing? Is there a gap in the market? Is this something new and fresh and exciting and different? You know, um, is it a version of something that I would really like to have a version of? That's another thing. You know, is there, do we need to have a BBC version of this um, this podcast, which is made by? I don't mean literally a copy. I mean a tw you know a, a different take on it. Um, yeah, there's lots of decisions. It's interesting. Lots of pitches come in, most get rejected, but the ones that you usually make, you make a decision very quickly. So it's about those things. But you're right. The other, the other thing is um, fewer podcasts are being commissioned. Some of the big companies we know are pulling back, taking their money out. Investors are, are turning away from it. 
So there's a consolidation story happening around big brands and the BBC is lucky. It's got some very big brands. And so we can build out from those brands. If you look at something like um, Just One Thing, then the idea is Just One Thing. It's got a big audience, a massive audience. So, okay, let's make more Just One Things. Let's have longer interviews with Michael Mosley, who we know everyone loves. So we are not commissioning quite so many things but building on the ones that we know the audience love and you can see that you can goal hanger are doing that they've got a format they stick to the you know people are, lots of people are doing that now i think and i've noticed recently um quite a few bbc podcasts seem to be kind of derived from bbc tv shows as well um, i mean traitors yeah there's traitors it was uncanny as well i know as a tv show i don't know if those went the other way around though other way round really? yes that was my wonderfully successful paranormal podcast. Oh, wow. I see so, that's the other way around. Absolutely. Very important. <laughs> uh, do those kind of podcasts do better in a way because they have that kind of standing audience? Or do you think that podcasts, even in like this saturation market, are still able just to do well, even without those kind of other, you know, attention grabbers? The two of them are very different. So Uncanny um, has been a podcast for a while, had a really, really loyal audience, a a, a really loyal community around that podcast. They, they loved it. So when television wanted to make it, we said the trick here is for the Uncanny TV programme not to disappoint the Uncanny podcast audience. So it has to be true. You know, we'll have the same music. How about the same visuals? Obviously, you've got Danny at the heart of it. And we will work with you and hand that podcast audience on to TV. And then you can hand it back to us. So everyone benefited the numbers were great across all, both platforms perfect traitors is the other way around and Tra the traitors uncloaked podcast did well too i think the reason was partly mostly because traitors was such a massive hit and people couldn't get enough of it and the offer was first to a visualized podcast so you go from the tally which is visual visual medium and the jump is not such a big one onto a visualized pod podcast rather than going straight to audio and then once you've got people in the visualised podcast space, you can go, how about an audio podcast? So there, it's, it's about distribution, isn't it? It's about the promotional story. You have to work at that. So, yeah, I don't think we do many others. I'm not a massive fan of companion TV, TV companion podcasts. I'm not. So like either make me a lovely TV show and I'll love it for its visuals or make me a great podcast that I'll love for the audio. There will be a few that can work, but I think... It's almost always about how how much are people talking about this show? Like, I don't mean The Guardian or The Times, you know, talking about Succession. Succession has a relatively small audience um, and the podcast didn't do that well, I don't think. You know, you build an audio companion to something that is massive and build it very carefully. Yeah. And you mentioned um, like visual podcasts. And that's quite, I think, quite a new phenomenon, something I've noticed recently. It doesn't quite work in my brain, but I wonder why do you think that kind of format's come about and do you think it's, do you think it's the next step? Um, it works very well for some genre. Y YouTube, yeah, it's a thing, it's a big thing. Doesn't work for all our formats, obviously it doesn't work for all our formats. It's expensive. Um, it, it has definitely got, uh, there's space for it in the market. It's growing on YouTube. Yes, I think there'll be more of it. But I, I think it's one of the many ways that podcasts will develop. It, not everything will go to visuals because, you, you know, you, drama, doesn't, drama doesn't work. Some of our history stuff doesn't work. It's a certain sort of podcast. But 
it's a compa you know if you spend a lot of your time on YouTube and a certain section of the market spends a lot of time on YouTube if you want to get your podcast to them makes sense to do it on YouTube you know some of those stuff that does very well is not very sophisticated and not very expensive. Yeah, I and I don't mean that as a diss. I mean, it's not sophisticated because it doesn't need to be. It's, you know, we could, we could visualise this. It wouldn't cost as much, you know. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. It's definitely like a certain type of genre I've noticed. It's normally like this kind of the chatty, normally like a couple of celebrities chatting their habit. Um, but yeah, I've just noticed it's quite an interesting phenomenon. And is there like a common thread you've noticed between the podcasts that do well? I know there was one that the BBC the other day that did kind of on the menstrual cycle, a couple 20 years, 20 28 days. days. Is there a common theme between those kind of smaller or not smaller topics, but the things that might be surprising that people want to listen to? So 28 days was one of my commissions um, with India Rackerson, who's a, a really brilliant, brilliant podcast maker. And um, I remember me and the boss standing in the corridor and we both took a breath and I said, it's 28 episodes long, boss. And he said, okay. And we've both since said, it's probably one of the best things we ever did because it was a big and bold commission. And you're right, it feels a little bit like, oh, you're really doing that. It went, all, all 28 episodes went out on Radio 4. They'll probably be repeated. It won awards, you know, and if you listen to it, um, I think it's, when the BBC is, is doing its public service best, it's, it's things like 28-ish days where people wrote to us of all ages and said, you know, that, that really helped me. That was full of insight. I, or I wish I'd had that when I was, you know, starting out, when I was 16, 17. So it, 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 it is, it, I don't think that's niche no. because of the population. I think it's unexpected. Yeah which I think is a very good thing for the BBC to do. And we should do the unexpected, more tricky um, commissions that are not immediately, oh, what a great commercial success that's going to be. The ones that are difficult and the rest of the market can't do them. Niche. Um, niche is harder for us to do, I think, because, because we, um, our content needs to be as appealing as possible to as broad a range of people. So if I make a podcast for railway enthusiasts, what about bus enthusiasts, tram enthusiasts, people who like taxis? Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it's a more difficult decision to go niche. Um, that said, I think that niche content drives loyalty. So you might say that a paranormal podcast is quite niche. Turns out it isn't. Loads of people love it. That felt quite niche when we started, but I think the way we did it... It, well, it had a hugely loyal community very quickly, you know, who talked about it and shared it and it worked really well. So what is, it, what is a niche is another question. And I think that if you are starting out as a podcaster, making a really good podcast for a niche community is a pretty good place to start. Because when people find you, and if it's good, you know, they'll love you and they'll commit, you know, it's not a bad place to start. I would think that making a big more generalist podcast, just as you're starting, is probably less likely to be successful. It's just a hunch though, I've got nothing to prove that. Yeah, no, it makes sense to have like that more loyal community. I think that like I listen to quite a lot of history podcasts and things like Natalie Kane stands up for the classics, which I'm a big fan of. I know Antonio, who's producing today, is also a big fan of. Um, and that has a very loyal following. So I think it is perhaps that is like part of the benefit of it. Um, 
And you mentioned that, and it reminds me, I heard Greg Jenner recently say that um, Horrible History's sort of childhood show of like my generation never would have been made by anyone other than CBBC. And I think the BBC is really special. It does make things that no one else would make. Um, and do you think for you in your role as a commissioner, um, is that in the back of your mind, sort of, should we be doing this because we're the BBC rather than should we be doing this because it's going to be really successful? And we have to do both. And, and quite often... The things that you that you take a deep breath over, but they feel right, they are successful. And it, it's quite a lot to do with our good fortune of being big and having lots of different platforms from which we can promote. So if you if you take a leap of faith with something like the aforementioned 28-ish days later, you can promote it to a lot of people, which means that the things you ought to do, if you do them well, they become the things that people want to listen to. So there is, a, that I, you know, uh, You're Dead to Me, the great, great journalist podcast with us, um, next Friday is doing a special on Mozart and the BBC Concert Orchestra in their entirety will be there to play as part of the live show. We can only do that because of, we're the B BBC, so we should do it. You know, let's, let's make a big treat for the audience that's coming and, you know, you're welcome to come actually, if you want to come, let me know. Um, we should do it. We should, you know, nurture orchestras and BBC singers and the um, postgrads that work on You're Dead to Me, you know, it's part of our role, for sure. Yeah. Um, and where do you think the, the BBC, maybe not BBC specifically, but the podcasting industry is heading? Because you said that they're sort of cutting down a little bit of commissions. And obviously there's the podcast industry has just sort of exploded, I think. Um, where do you think podcasts are going to go into the next 10 years or so you know as the industry kind of establishes itself I guess. The latest radar data that we got last month um, the trajectory for podcast listening in the UK is continues to go up I think um, my, my stats might not be quite right but I think it's 11 million people who say they listen to a podcast every week uh, and every time that radar data comes out there's an increase great the podcast market sector is saturated. Uh, not, it's not saturated. That's not, it's crowded. Yeah. And I think once you have found a podcast you love, it's really hard to shift out of that habit because the presenters or the topic or, you know, it becomes your friend. It becomes a regular beat in much the same way as a radio program would. And it's quite hard to jostle people out of the way to, to replace something that people are already enjoying. So my prediction is... I think the trajectory will continue to be upwards because uh, you can listen when you like. Um, you can you can listen to the people that you like mainly because most things are available on demand, even if they're not truly podcasts. And I can't see why we would give that up. I mean, live radio. I'm a massive fan of live radio as well, and 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 some things, you know, Glastonbury or you know a big sporting event works brilliantly as a live event. So. I'm not, I'm not thinking, I'm not, I'm not really talking about live radio, I'm just talking about on demand. So I think the trajectory's up. I think you'll see big brands, like I've said already, continue, continue to consolidate and to try and grow those audiences because they're hard to get hold of. So once you've got them, you know, let's be lovely to them. Um, I think talent will, sorry, I keep, I mean, presenting talent will continue to want to make podcasts. Yeah, is that enough of a prediction? I think so, yeah. What do you think? the route kind of is now into broadcasting because I asked this question because I think when I've spoken to people before who worked in radio 
um, there was like quite a clear route where they would like go to local radio stations and where they up to the BBC and you know that was kind of a clear cut route and now broadcasting I think is a lot wider if that makes sense you've got broadcasting as well as you know traditional radio um, and also a lot of local radio stations kind of don't exist anymore and that route's kind of gone um, and I'd, it'd be interested to hear just as you're kind of at the top of the industry um, how do you think those steps are made now? Okay if you're if you're starting out, you can. I mean, I, I was kind of really random. I just want to work at the BBC. That's one way you can try and get a job somewhere and try and work your way across into something that, you know that you really love. And it's not a bad way to get in. You know, if you if good at networking and you've got enough drive, you know, I think I still think the BBC is a good place to start. I've got you know someone who's on my team who joined. Um, as a freelancer to help with um, sorting out audiences and is such an impressive person that everyone who comes across them wants to help them out. That's it's not a bad way, it's not a bad way in at all, you know. There are apprenticeships, um, much, much, much more competed for and hard, hard to get to get onto, you know, just because there they're, they're not that many of them. There, there are lots of good indies in the audio sector. There's a, a website called Audio UK, which lists, lists every single um, indie in the UK. You know, getting a cup of tea in with them, you know, starting to wonder about how do you pitch your ideas. Um, the Radio 4, actually, Speech Audio at the BBC has a commissioning website, which has all the names of all the commissioners, all the things they're looking for, all the commissioning rounds when they're, you know, it's not a bad idea to get to know um, that particular website if you if you want to get in into the audio space. I think um, this sound, you know it, it means a lot if you understand and and love something. So, for example, if you understand and and love something like you're dead to me, and you write to somebody at you're dead to me and say. Yeah, I really like this. I like this moment when you did this. I like, you know, which shows that you've properly understood and have ideas. Those sort of emails will will always get a response. You know, so it's some of it is hard. Some of it's about networking. Some of it is about showing a genuine love and commitment. You just got to keep going. Really, it is tough. I know it's tough, and I'm sorry for that. Um, but there's lots of new indies out there now, you know, and, and, and that's a good way to get in. There's another, another um, friend of mine, friend of mine, colleague, anyway, uh, who's, who's started pitching ideas to an indie and, and that's working really well. You know, hopefully one of their ideas will get picked up by Radio 4 and they'll have a documentary soon. So develop the quality of your thinking, the quality of your ideas, know the landscape so that you're not duplicating or being shallow in do you know what I mean there's a way yeah. you, if you commit if you if you pitch something that you really love which is properly thought through it's, it can be impressive and you only need to impress one person who you then have a cup of tea with and you you know your foot is in the door um so in some ways it's hard and in some ways it's less hard yeah do you think that um radio is a career path is still um a viable option if that makes sense do you think radio will continue it's quite a big question but you know especially for my generation i don't know that many people who listen to live radio anymore and um, podcasts have definitely taken over i think possibly the younger generation do you think that that is still a place that will continue to exist in 10 20 years time 
Yes, I do. And I think instead of narrowing down your options, as in I want to be a radio presenter, think I want to present audio. Because most of the presenters that we admire have got live shows. Their live shows will be probably available on demand and they've probably got a couple of podcasts going as well. Everyone is diversifying. So instead of going, I want to be on live, live radio is such a buzz. It's amazing. It's a fantastic thing to do. You know, being a presenter on live radio, you still go for it. Let me not, let me not curtail any dreaming. But I think the broader you keep your options, the better initially. And just going off that, I just wondered if you had an answer for what the future kind of looks like for radio. Do you think that with the podcasting, especially in the BBC, do you think podcasting radio is going to emerge quite a lot more in the future? We are merging now. So if you look at the Radio 4 schedule, quite a lot of the content that is on the programmes that are on there began as podcasts. Most of them now are available as podcasts if they began as radio shows. So in our time, Desert Island Discs, Woman's Hour, that they're all available as podcasts. Uh, Lady Killers, You're Dead to Me, Your Place or Mine, Just One Thing, Slice Bread, Now You're Asking. They all began as podcasts and are now on the linear radio schedule. Partly because they're really good. Partly because we can't afford to make a set of things over here for a podcast audience and a set of things over here for a radio audience. Why would we anyway? You know, something like Lady Killers is brilliant, absolutely needs to go on the radio as well. The, the challenge for the BBC is to make audio that appeals to people who are turning off from radio. So is to try and make podcasts for them, because they like podcasts, because they're listening to non-BBC podcasts. So how do we make podcasts from the BBC for them pull them back towards audio from the BBC and hopefully, you know, encourage a live listen somewhere along the way. Do you think from that, that podcasting now is influencing radio, if that makes sense? Do you think that a lot of people who commission radio shows are now doing that with the podcast in mind rather than it just being like, obviously Women's Hour has existed for years, but do you think the new radio shows are kind of made with that in mind more than they used to be, I suppose? I think it depends on the radio show. Something like In Our Time has a, and Desert Island Discs, they have a, a well-loved and pretty fixed structure. You don't want it. Why would you mess with that? You know, it's great. People, it's, a, it's, a, it's incredibly meaningful to an audience and you, you, and you don't want to take that away from them. And they're great formats, so why mess with them? You know, the, the influence comes more around um, when you're commissioning new things for radio. You want them to have a sensibility which is probably slightly more relaxed, not in some genre. Um, but some of the big investigative narrative shows like Things Fell Apart, the John Ronson or, you know, Why Do You Hate Me with Mariana Spring, they, they ha they're more relaxed, but they're still, they still have a structure. So they're sort of, they've moved the radio structure on, but they haven't moved away from structure. So there's room for everything. Yeah, so it kind of can work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd love to know, Michelle, a lot of podcasts. Is there any that really stick out to you as maybe ones that kind of you didn't expect to do so well that did much better? Um, or perhaps ones that you thought would be really successful and then sort of they surprised you that they only would appeal to kind of a small audience? So, big successes. I was surprised at how well Uncanny did because I didn't realise there was such a market out there. And I think... The reason for that is, is the, so the storytelling's great. There's a, there's a story that runs right through every single one, and we all love stories we have since we were in caves. Oral storytelling tradition, brilliant. 
then but what you've created there is a respectful space for disagreement so you have team skeptic you have team believer they listen they comment they offer theories they do not fight and the story is the thing that is held up the story is the most important thing and i think there's an alchemy in a very shouty world to create something which is respectful and honest storytelling so that's why i think that was a success but it I think it did surprise us all. No, I know it surprised us all. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, sliced bread is another surprise. You know, it's consumer journalism. It's massive. It's huge. You know, people gathering around advice around portable heaters or air fryers or face creams. It's huge. You know, people still want uh, a source of you know, rigorous evaluation before they make consumer decisions. And I was kind of Oh, okay, you know, I'd have thought you might have just read about it, but no, you want to listen to it. It's great, it's really pleasing. Just one thing that, it, again, you know, and then you think about maybe I wasn't that surprised because it's one piece of health and wellbeing advice delivered in 14 minutes. Mm, yeah, maybe not. The, what now? Things that have failed, not failed, things that have been less successful. There are usually very, very good reasons. Now, I, I don't know whether I should. Yeah, okay, so I'll name one. Um, we did a podcast called Best Men. Um, which was two blokes who had been each other's best men um, talking to other men who were about to take on the duties of, of being a best man or being a groom. And, and it was like hilarious anecdotes about what happened, you know, to them. And we released it around um, the wedding season last year and it didn't do well at all. And the reason it didn't do well was because we couldn't promote it how we wanted to promote it. So all the best men or men or people who were interested in weddings out there didn't know about it. So that leads me to say is when we commission, I'm always asking the question, that's a great idea. What's the great promotional plan? Don't ever commission anything without having a plan. So lots of planning and it didn't work for best men. And I have two questions that come from that. And the first one is, how do you make a promotional plan, especially on podcasts? Because I think I just, I just think of TikTok because, you know, I'm 20 years old and yeah, that's, yeah. you know, the main thing that appeals to me. Um, but, you know, the podcasts the BBC make are not, not just aimed at 20 year olds, they're aimed at all ages, you know, um, you know, my parents, grandparents, all ages listen to BBC podcasts. How do you go about making sure that the podcast you make reaches the audience that you want it to reach? TikTok's interesting, isn't it? Because... TikTok is enjoyed of itself within its own space, but do you actually consume a podcast as a result of seeing it featured on TikTok? Is that, do you think that's a journey? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So which, which podcast is that word for you? Um, there's been a few. Uh, Stephen Bartlett's Diary of CEO, they're okay. quite prevalent on TikTok. And a few others like Grace Beverly as well, her podcast. They're generally people's own podcasts that they promote on their own pages. I think I've noticed I've had people who already have a lot of followers. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also all the, all the Made in Chelsea gang who have their own podcasts, they always pop up on mine and I'm a Made in Chelsea watcher. So I go, oh, you've got a podcast and off I go. Um, but I've definitely seen BBC One's promotion to you on Instagram and that kind of thing. And I, I'm terrible for clicking on ads, so I do. But I don't know if that's something you see reflected in your statistics of looking at my Yeah, Instagram. Instagram. They mean... I I just throw everything I can at it as long as the assets that you have made are authentic to the platform. So when we did Witch, which was a 13-part series on witchcraft by Indy Rackerson, who made 28ish Days, 
when we did the assets for TikTok, they were made by a real witch who wasn't produced on the program. So there was an authenticity to it. You know, it wasn't just a promo, off we go. So as long as you've thought about being authentic to the platform, especially with younger facing platforms like TikTok, so that you don't want to look like your dad dancing on TikTok. It's a very bad look, especially if you're BBC. So a lot of thought about your content being authentic. The best way to promote podcasts is to promote them on other podcasts. So do your promo, your your pod-to-pod promo. Appear on a guest on someone else's podcast because those people who are listening are listening to podcasts. So we know know, they've only got one jump to make them do. Yeah. And then uh, every other lever that's available to me at the BBC. You know, we um, John Ronson was on the Today podcast this week, and John Ronson's podcast is back in the top ten as a result because it's the most effective way. Because you're a captive audience, you love podcasts, so here's another yeah. podcast. Yeah, that's a really interesting point actually about the jumping guests on other podcasts because I I think about it now. So I very randomly listened to I think always to all of Jamie Lang's podcast. He's a main Chelsea star. He mm-hmm. has a podcast on the BBC with Spencer Six Matthews. Degrees of Six Degrees. Um, and from that, I sort of jumped on, I think, Spencer's podcast with his wife and then uh, Vogue's podcast with her friend. And it is it is like a loop that goes round. Um, it's interesting to hear that that's quite a strategic thing that goes on. Well, it is for me, you know, <laughs> but it, no, like we keep saying, it's a crowded market. Whatever lever you've got, you're disposable, you know, at your disposal, go and pull that one. Yeah. And my question before the other thing that pops into my head from that is how do you deal with failure in some way? You know, when things aren't successful, I, I assume you pull like, you know, loads of time as podcasts that you're commissioning. Um, how do you deal with those like non-successes and how do you make sure that you kind of learn from them and, you know, it doesn't get you down too much, I suppose? Yeah, good question. I think the thing to do is to try not to fail. <laughs> so when you are thinking about it, when you're interrogating an idea, you know how much time, you, you have got a limited amount of ideas you can commission. So let's properly shake out this thing before we press go. And also I've got the great luxury of it being able to be a radio programme in lots of instances as well. So hopefully I've created something which the Radio 4 audience will enjoy, even if it's not an, an, enjoy, an enjoyable thing for a podcast audience. So that I've got a, a get out of jail card there, which I'm very lucky to have. So with Best Men... You, you would go back and you'd go, right, okay, so we definitely needed the Radio 4 promotion for that particular set of hosts because we didn't get to them uh, by another route, you know. So understand, properly ask yourself, why did that fail? And then try not to do it again, you know. But the, I think the other thing is going back to that question about what should the BBC do. Things rarely fail completely. I, in my in my bit of the business, quite often there'll be a reputational hit. So, you know, you've managed to do something which you're really proud of, which only the BBC could do, and that's not to be undervalued. It's a lovely thing to do. Maybe it didn't make millions and millions of, you know, downloads, but there we go, we made something lovely. Maybe you encourage... I mean, and these are things that I can do because because of the, you know... The, the fortunate position that I hold. Maybe you manage to nurture a new indie company or a new young presenting talent or a new team. Or maybe you did something which came from a different part of the UK or from a diverse and underrepresented community. 
So, you know, it's a many-faceted... Failure is, 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 a, is, a, is not... It's, it's more complex. And I, and I think you... The things that would really make me cross is if we made something that was without value, without some complexity, without fun or... You know, and I hope we'd never do that. You know, I hope someone would stop me. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think for you yeah, about the hit versus the wind. I always think about this quite a lot, especially with like, since we started this, obviously, you don't have our own listeners. But I was like, you know what? If I had 20 people in a room coming to listen to me talk, I'd be pretty thrilled. But it's, yeah, I guess with such a big platform like the BBC, always looking for other ways you can impact people other than just downloads. And sometimes I think you just have to let something be for a while. As long as it's not, as long as it's you not know, a drain on resources. But if I was making, if I was making my own podcast at home, at home, I would, I would do it for do it pleasure for of doing it, and I would, you know, just release it because I enjoyed it. You know. So you're right. So you're right. And I think, and I think, yeah, failure. You wait till you have to wait to give up. Have a go. Have a go. And and. To round off, we have a question that we ask all of our committee members, which is what's a piece in the uh, media that's had a big impact on you? Um, I'd be interested to hear what that is for you. Um, two things. One was watching News Round in our house as a girl. My father was a complete news obsessive, and I couldn't quite get that. But once I found News Round, I thought, oh, OK, now I understand. So I grew up wanting to work on News Round, wanting to work for the BBC. And then the other one, I'm going to name my favourite film. So my favourite film is a black and white film by Paul and Pressburger called I Know Where I'm Going, which is about a young woman who takes a train journey on the sleeper to Scotland to meet a man she has agreed to marry, even though she's never met him, because she wants to better herself. And there's a story there, so I'm going to go for those two. That's really good. And to summarise, I quite like to ask, what's like one piece of advice you'd like to give to us as podcasters, to anyone who wants to go into the media industry now, what would be like your parting piece of advice? Uh, I would say really go for it. Put all, if you love it that much, put all your energy and all your efforts into making it happen because that self-belief and that energy is the thing that will get you over the difficulty of it feeling like there's not many jobs out there because there aren't many jobs, but the people who get them are the people who really want them, you know, and the people who do the work. And have... Oh, am I allowed to? Go, go, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, have something that's an expertise or an interest or something that you can talk about when you meet somebody. Have something unexpected. And don't feel you have to be a generalist. Generalists are great. It's good to be a generalist, but it's also good to have that niche that we were talking about, just something that makes you memorable. So thank you. That's really interesting. Um, unless you have any final remarks you'd like to say, um, <laughs> I think I've said more than enough. <laughs> um, then I think that's everything for today. Thank you so much. That's been really interesting. It's been um, a pleasure. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Spotlight. To learn more about Oxford Media Society, visit our website, oxfordmediasociety.com or follow us on socials at Oxford Media Sock.